When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. Hey, Mesh, how are you? Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm the other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Welcome to 2023. We're back, Paul. It's great to see you. And uh, this is funny enough, our second time recording today. We love it so much. You know, we're running it back. And it's been <laughs> it's been a little bit of a hiatus. I don't think we've recorded in a couple of weeks. It was nice to get away. I did some traveling, spent a lot of time with family. Year end is a super busy time for me, actually, work-wise, because a lot of my clients have their deals expiring. But it was good. I missed doing the episodes. And we got a great show for you this week. It was a good break. You know, I got some time to travel, see family, Consumed some good content. I went and saw The Menu, fantastic movie, super weird, a little bizarre. I've heard really good things about it. It's great. It's a weird movie. It's a bit disturbing, but it's fantastic. It's why you go to the movies. People can still shock and awe. You know, I've been just watching some shows. I checked out The Offer on Paramount, the show about oh, yeah. with Miles Teller about the making of The Godfather. That's been great. I started watching Slow Horses on Apple TV, fantastic show. So, you know, there's there's some good stuff out there. And I think 2023, we've got a lot of really good stuff coming out. Avatar is still starting the year strong. So it may end up at $2 billion. I think domestic box office just crossed half a billion yep. and it's over a billion international. So maybe a little soft domestically, but it still should probably land around where Cameron was hoping. Yeah. Mesh, have you seen it? No. So I haven't seen it yet because the movie's three hours and 12 minutes, which means you need at least three hours and 30 minutes. And a friend of mine's like, look, it's it's basically four hours by the time you get in there, you get out, out. Yeah. yeah, in and out. And I really want to just watch it in IMAX 3D. Otherwise, I don't really see the point of going to the theater to watch it. But between that and Babylon, these movies are both over three hours long, and I want to see both. So the three-hour movie is tough because you definitely probably have to go to the bathroom once in between. Yeah. The last three-hour movie I think I saw was Triple R, which I really loved. I didn't think there was a dull moment in the whole thing. Did you watch that in the theater or you watched it in Netflix? In Netflix. So you can pause at least, right? So right. I think it is really interesting based on the fact that like we were talking about are people going to watch this movie? People still say it's visually stimulating, like this guy doesn't disappoint. 
I mean, the fact that it's already at 1.5 billion worldwide gross, it's the 10th biggest movie ever. It's still breaking records. Well, those IMAX 3D tickets aren't cheap, you know, so. they're No, they're not cheap, but it goes to show that if you have a really good show or you, you put a lot of work into something and you can charge a little bit of a premium, you can make some money, which brings us to Broadway. Broadway is having a fantastic run right now because people want to go see stuff, high quality performance, ticket sales are up. Paul, tell us what's going on on Broadway right now. You know, and and this is all part of the debate, right? So the pandemic came out of nowhere, you know, end of 2019, Broadway, I think the week of ending Christmas did about 50 million. The week ending New Year's did about 33 million. And 2020, 2021, Broadway was you know, sort of decimated, right? right? The numbers were down. Tourism was down. I remember Jessica and I were going to go see Moulin Rouge and we were in our seats and five minutes before the show was supposed to start, they canceled it because someone tested positive for COVID in the right, cast. Right, so right. like it was very hit or miss. And this past New Year's Eve week, Broadway did 52 million. Lion King led the way with 4.3 million in ticket sales and it was at 99% capacity for the week over the nine showings. Yeah. Overall, Broadway was at 92% capacity. Music Man also did four million, and that that exceeded the similar week in 2019, and it doubled the corresponding week last year. Right. So the indicators are that Broadway is making a comeback, and that's all good. Tourism, New York, Midtown, it's all you know humming now. It's hard to get reservations at restaurants. New York is is kind of buzzing during this time. Consumers are spending. Obviously, look, we're, there's talks about recession. There's talks about people need to lower their their spending, but right now. Not only is New York bustling with Broadway, with restaurants, as you just mentioned, I was around during New Year's time. It was pretty busy. It was pretty crowded. I heard the same thing randomly about Vegas, too. Like Vegas during New Year's, uh, between Christmas and New Year's is a little slow. New Year's picks up. But apparently there's talk that it was like very, very busy. And so I wonder what's really going on that maybe people just want to be out right now and and be spending on experiences. For sure, there's that. It was almost... 50, I think, on New Year's in New York. So it was like much warmer than it would typically be. That's true. And Broadway's always a destination. So like, I think watching movies in theaters, it's not necessarily a a comp to Broadway, right? Because watching a live performance, whether it's a musical or a play, people singing, people dancing, people acting in front of you, that's something that doesn't necessarily translate onto the small screen the way, you know, you can just stream a movie at home and the, the difference between watching it in a theater and watching it at home is probably a little bit closer or smaller than the difference between watching a musical live and being a part of the audience and watching a recorded musical. So plus it's like people are coming to the city, they get a hotel, they visit, they see the decorations and it's a destination. It's it's more of an event. But all things I think are coming back. And sure, it's a recession. We'll talk about that in the media landscape and, and businesses. All the media companies got hammered in 2022, at least their stocks, but it's not over. And transition is the one constant in the entertainment business. So we'll talk about that. Another story I wanted to transition to, really a huge bummer because it's an actor I think we both really love. Jeremy Renner had a horrible accident on his snowcat, seven ton snow plow, snow mover, which is really something that's a, it's a heavy duty piece of machinery that's used for like ski resorts, not really personal use. But anyway, he had one and he lives in, the Lake Tahoe, Reno area. And it was during the winter storm. Family member's car got stuck. He was towing them out. I guess he hopped out of the 
snowplow to talk to someone. It started rolling and he terrible. tried to jump back in and it ran over him. And he Jeez. was, his chest was crushed. He was all cut up. Ugh. I mean, he's in, there's photos of him in the ICU. It looks like he could have died. Like he's lucky to be alive. I mean, that's, it's insane. 14,000 pounds of an industrial machine that moves snow, like heavy snow runs over you. I mean, thank God the guy's survived. And he wrote a message on Instagram, like thanking his supporters you know, it's not like Jeremy Renner's out of the of the picture. He he's had a really good run. I mean, he was just in Hawkeye, season two of Mayor of Kingstown uh, on Paramount's coming out. You know, so he's got a lot going for him. He's a pretty sought after actor right now. He's just had an amazing career, and he's still with it, right? So, like, just unfortunate for him personally, but also hopefully he can get back to work for fans' sake. First and foremost, he's lucky to be alive. You know, he can still be there to see his kids grow up and all that, which, because, I mean, it looks like he was potentially close to dying. So that's first and foremost. What Obviously, he res- hopefully he resumes his career, but that would be secondary. Right, of course. And, you know, obviously he was Hawkeye and he was in Thor and the Avengers franchises and obviously the Disney Plus show. But he also has a stellar career outside of that, right? And yeah. and, and before that. So Hurt Locker, The Town, the town. Rival, American Hustle. I even liked Wind River, uh, which was- Wind I think, River was fantastic. Movie. Yeah, same maker as uh, Yellowstone. Yeah, exactly. Even if he didn't make any more content, he's had a hell of a career. But hoping he, he continues and he recovers fully. Yeah. This yeah. kind of reminded me of when Mark Hamill got in a really bad car accident towards the end of filming A New Hope prior to Empire Strikes Back. And they kind of change the script and they they write it so that in the first scene he gets like his face gashed by, you know, like one of those like winter monster things. But it's really interesting because like if you're an actor and you're doing something crazy or you get dismembered or really badly injured, like you may not have the same market value. And if you're in sort of a long term role or if if you're a character that appears in a lot of things and a studio has options on you, that may be a breach of contract that may give the studio the ability to sort of get out of the deal or whatever. So hopefully Renner makes a comeback and he doesn't look too different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I don't, like, you know, we only have like minimal, like what actually happened to him and how bad the damages are. Uh, maybe they're keeping it pretty close, one, for his own privacy, but also they, they don't want anyone to speculate what's going on and, you know, what potential for his career in terms of like studios working, you know, him working with other studios or franchises, et cetera. Cause you know, Renner has unfortunately missed on a few opportunities with large franchises. He was supposed to be the next born, like born. You know, that movie yeah. didn't really pan out. He was supposed to replace Tom Cruise in mission impossible, but Cruise is still just an animal and is still killing it. And you know, you never know. We might see him in the, in the future movies, but we got the, the two movies coming out. Uh, for Mission Impossible. Hopefully he gets back to doing what he does. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan. Me too. Wishing him uh, a quick and uh, healthy, swift recovery. Yeah, it's not a superhero movie, you know? You don't just come back. Like, it's yeah. life. So. <laughs> well, let's take a break and let's get back and we'll talk about what's going on with the future of media landscape and some things that are happening with the studios. So, Mesh, I know neither of us are Gen Z, but like the show that speaks to Gen Z or the show of the moment is Wednesday. Netflix is, I guess, depending on how you slice the data, it's either their biggest hit or it's second to Stranger Things. I think during the third week of November, it was streamed for 341 million hours, which is the number one performing week on of any Netflix show. 
But I think in the aggregate, it is just behind Stranger Things season four. Anyway, Jenna Ortega absolutely crushes it. She's, you know, a star. She's and, great. And she sort of, this wasn't her first project, but it's this is her breakout role. And it's been a huge hit for Netflix, but there was a little bit of controversy because Wednesday was made by MGM. The deal was probably, was, I'm, I'm assuming, was signed prior to MGM being owned by Amazon. But now that MGM is owned by Amazon, the question is, does Netflix still get to make season two, three, four, whatever, or does Amazon Prime now get those rights? So that was the question. I think it's been resolved. I've been reading that Netflix is going to keep the rights, but it's something that often comes up in the media M&A landscape. Well, let's go through. I mean, just given that, obviously, it's staying with Netflix, how does someone negotiate that? Because if you're MGM, you've made the show, Netflix is the one that takes a chance on you to distribute the show. It becomes their number one show, and they obviously want to do a season two because they want people coming back to Netflix. I'm assuming you put something in the contract because not only are you, you know, you bought the rights for this thing, but you want to have the option for future seasons, right? Like you have to probably put that in there. Absolutely. I guess there's like a couple things at play here. So there's garden variety production agreement, like financing production distribution agreement, where if Netflix is going to invest in a show, fund it, they're going to want exclusive distribution rights or a window. They're going to want approval over the budget, the cast, the script, the directors, the scheduling, all that's all the material sort of approval rights. And in their deals... They're going to say, hey, you know, if we have the right to order subsequent seasons, maybe there's a raise, maybe it's a 5% or some kind of bump for each subsequent season yeah. so people get paid a little bit more. But they're going to approve the parameters upon which all the actors are hired too. So they're not going to cast Jenna Ortega as the star unless they're happy with the situation in terms of the options that they have on her if it's a success. Because shows like movies are speculative, right? And so if it becomes a hit, then that's kind of a lottery ticket. So Netflix is going to want to cash in and keep making more to, as you said, grow their audience because not all shows are created equal. Although some of them may cost similar amounts, they're not all going to be the same level of performer. And so when you have a hit on your hands, you want to keep going to the well and making more, right? And that's you know what Marvel's doing in the theatrical and, and streaming side. So the standard deal, they would have options. What's tricky here, and I think you're getting to, is if you knew, like let's say you're MGM or your production arm, and you know that your company is for sale and you might be acquired, right? you might try to build in some provision in your deal saying, okay, yeah, you have options subject to, you know, we have the ability to opt out if there's a change of control, or if we're bought out, then the purchaser has the right to renegotiate terms or terminate the deal. So sometimes there are change of control terminations, right? Usually there, if the other side is bought or sold, then party A can get out if party B is bought or sold. But sometimes there's an opt out. And I've worked with these situations in the past. Like I remember in particular, I was at Disney and Paramount was distributing all the Marvel movies. They distributed Iron Man 1, 2, and Thor and Cap, and they had contractual rights to keep going on the sort of like MCU phase one, phase two, et cetera. And once Disney owned Marvel, they wanted to distribute Avengers. So we had to sort of work right, out a deal right. and, and you know, renegotiate things. Because sometimes, you know, things change, circumstances change, companies buy and sell each other. In this case, it sounds like Netflix is going to keep Wednesday and be able to make season two and subsequent seasons. But you never know. And if Amazon really wants to grow their platform, maybe they try to work out something. 
A question I have is, because we've seen this happen, I've mentioned this before, my frustration with shows where, you know, Yellowstone, for example, is Paramount, but you have to go on Peacock to get the new season, but the old seasons are somewhere else. Is there a world where Amazon Prime is like, hey, can we get season one or let's say Wednesdays in season three, Amazon gets like, you know, gets to show season one, season two, but the new seasons are only on Netflix. Then once they're released, then they go on Prime. That is the name of the game. So like the way these things are sliced and diced, like the rights, there's library content, there's current content, there's content that could be considered exclusive. There's like a window where something is basically like being made or being released. It's a little bit different now because things are binged. But let's say there's a window of four months from when the show drops. That might be Netflix exclusive window. Amazon, when they bought MGM, they did get library content to the MGM catalog, but that is sort of things that were done pre-acquisition, not necessarily things that are coming forward. But a lot of my clients are content and distribution executives, and their job is to maximize their content. So if someone like a Peacock is willing to pay more for library content, then as hard as it is for you as a consumer, if you'd like to see it on the same place where you watch the current season, you may not be able to because the highest bidder, you know, a different bidder wanted the library content. So the way these things are sliced and diced is very complicated, and that's a lot of what I do. The other angle to this is companies often buy and sell each other, right. right? So at one point, Fox was a standalone. Then it was owned, you know, by Disney, and at Comcast even bid for or those same assets when Disney did their deal. NBC is owned by Comcast, but it wasn't always. ABC, ESPN, and Disney are all common control. So there's just so many different permutations of this. And when you do a rights deal uh, or a production deal like the Netflix thing, they may make five or six seasons of Wednesday. It really depends on if it keeps performing. But the company MGM may change hands in that time period. It kind of brings to the question, in media, content is really important. Costs are really important. Not only acquiring catalogs, but also how are you going to make money off that? How do you limit costs? And that brings us into media landscape for 2023. 2022 is a really not great year for media companies. It was a bad year. It was a bad year. You know, you have Disney, Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Comcast, Paramount. I mean, you know, Paul, you have the numbers in front of you. Why don't we go through some of them to see how bad they were hit during the year? So, I mean, 2022 was a a bad year for stocks altogether, right? The Nasdaq's down 35%, Dow's down 10%. But tech and entertainment got hit even harder, right? So Disney was down 46%. Netflix was down 54%. Comcast was down 32%. Paramount was down 50%. AMC was down 61%. Warner Brothers Discovery fell 63%. Roku was down 83%. Amazon's even, which I always thought was sort of immune, was down 50%. Apple was down 31%. So across the board, companies' stocks all fell in this industry and some fell more than others, you know, it's a correction in the market. Part of it was like, you know, we had an era of really solid growth in and escalation in stock prices leading into 2022. And those things can't go on forever. The other thing is, you know, inflation and people spending less money. And, and when your stock price is down, budgets get slashed and you have to make, as you said, interesting and tougher decisions about what to make and what to continue to invest in. And one person we've talked about a couple of times on this show is Dave Zaslov, who was the former head of Discovery, and now he's running Warner Brother Discovery. And he's been really aggressive in terms of shutting down HBO and HBO Max projects that he deemed to be too expensive or not worth 
uh, the spend, right? So things like Westworld and Batgirl and a host of things. So you really have to be parsimonious. He might come out looking like the genius who started making these cuts in time where they brought their costs down. They canceled projects that maybe just didn't have that long shelf life or, you know, you could create multiple seasons or spinoffs off of it because, you know, HBO still has Succession season three coming out. They've got The Last of Us, Euphoria. I mean, you've got these things where where you need someone to be able to really cut the cost down and figure out what should we be spending money on. Let's see how that works with the, the rest of the companies. Obviously, Bob Iger's back at Disney. What does he do? I mean, everyone's got to cut costs no matter what because content is expensive. Even though, like we've said, there is a lot of good stuff coming out. At the same time, you got to keep your costs down and, and shareholders, it matters to them. The value of the stock matters. And so how do these companies perform in the next 12 months will be really interesting. It reminds me of a season of two of Succession where you have Al- Alexander Skarsgård's character who owns the streaming service. And he's like, why don't I actually buy you, Waystar Royal? Because you're the one who's suffering right now as a public company and we're just killing it. Obviously, tech, it doesn't really relate to today's world because tech sales have been hammered. But it goes to your whole point about mergers and acquisitions when companies are cheap and down and content matters. Right. Yeah, exactly. So strategic M&A is definitely something that it's cyclical, right? So just as it's a bummer that stocks have come down, they don't stay down forever. and if you're an executive with a company that's sitting on, you know, a lot of cash, maybe like a Tim Cook or someone, you can go shopping in the bargain basement, right? Like Roku may be more attractive than it was before because it's you're getting it at an 80% discount, right, in terms of the the stock price. So, that leads to a lot of interesting moving and shaking and, you know, among like the media bankers and things like that. So, I don't know where we are in the cycle and whether things are going to keep falling, but suffice it to say, we're in a time of transition. Streaming is still growing. I don't know whether it's profitable or when it will become profitable. Sports rights are still valuable, but they're getting sliced and diced in different ways. And we'll talk about that after the break. But it does seem like we're in this transition. Companies are going to be bought and sold. And great shows are going to still emerge. But expensive shows that don't have large audiences might be on the chopping block. Yeah. So let's take a quick break and jump back with our main topic, NFL Sunday ticket going to YouTube TV and whether NFL can be safe. So Mesh, I am a self-professed, football fan. I've been watching it my whole life with my dad and brother and friends growing up. I'm an Eagles fan, although I haven't lived in Philly for probably 20 years because I've been in New York and LA and college since then. I'm still an Eagles fan despite the frustrations. There are some successes as well, (laughs) but for me to watch Eagles games when I'm not in Philly, right, unless it's like a Monday night or Thursday night game or a playoff game, I need an out-of-market package. And so that's what NFL Sunday ticket is. And the deal that was just announced right before the end of the year was that YouTube TV, which is Google's digital streaming subscription linear product, their OTT product, which is the the largest in the country, it's 5 million subscribers, has um, taken the exclusive rights to NFL Sunday Ticket, which were held by DirecTV from 1994 until this past, until 2022. 
YouTube is paying $2 billion a year. We don't know how long the deal is, but certainly a big get for them because yep. Amazon already has Thursday Night Football. ESPN and Disney are sort of bundled together, and Disney owns 80% of ESPN. Really, the only other tech titan would have been Apple, and they don't really have a linear television product yet. So good get for Google. They paid a premium, but you have to in an auction. And we'll see. I guess it was pretty obvious. You know, in my head, like, I don't use YouTube TV. So I'm like, I don't, I see it pop up here and there. And I and I realize that they actually, it's quite convenient from what I understand. If you have YouTube TV, you get access to a lot of stuff. Uh, I know a lot of Roku users use YouTube TV. But it is quite interesting that now Google in this mix, YouTube TV having the NFL Sunday ticket, you're saying 5 million subscribers already. I can't imagine what this does for their subscriber base because- it could go to 10. I mean, it really could. I mean, for example, like I Googled a game today randomly and on Google, and the first thing that comes up is not only the game, it says stream or preview on YouTube TV. So like the ability for them to just kind of pass people through to subscribe onto this, and they probably already have an account. It probably is pretty easy for them to do so versus like a DirecTV. I mean, given that DirecTV had it from 94, but this is the new way of doing things. Right. I mean, DirecTV's subscriber base is shrinking, so I don't know that they could pony up the money because, you know, if you have fewer subs, it's harder to justify the cost. If you have 25 million or 30 million subscribers, then it's a lower amount per subscriber. But so YouTube, they also have YouTube primetime channels and they're going to integrate NFL content in a lot of different ways. So it's just Sunday ticket on YouTube TV, but also they have YouTube primetime channels. They'll probably have sort of behind the scenes, exclusive preseason content, maybe interviews, highlight shows, things that are free to watch on YouTube ad supported. So it's really interesting to see how the NFL and Google are going to go into this next era. NFL's they have a digital streaming product. They have, like we said, their exclusive deal with Amazon for Thursday Night Football, which is going to go for the next decade. Yeah. And let's just talk about the NFL for a second. Now, we've mentioned it in episodes 7, 25, and 31. The NFL is the premier sports league in the U.S. and maybe the premier sports property in the world up there with sort of top flight soccer, premier league, champions league. But it comes at a cost, right? It's a very violent, brutal sport, which takes a physical and mental and emotional toll on the players or modern day gladiators. So just in terms of like recapping, 49 of the top 50 highest rated television telecasts in the past five years are NFL games. Yeah, 92 of the top 100 are NFL games. The NFL for the next decade with their rights deals from NBC, Fox, CBS, ABC, Amazon, and now YouTube TV, it's going to be making between 11 and $13 billion a year in rights fees for the games, which means, you know, if you split that pro rat among the teams, that means each team is yeah. making like $400 million in TV revenue, TV slash streaming revenue, a year for the next 10 years. So that's why these teams are all worth in the four, five, six that's a year. The commanders are even being rumored <laughs> to be sold for $7 billion range, which is really astronomical when you think about yeah. it. I remember when I was a kid, someone bought the Eagles for $160 million, which seemed like a crazy number at the time. Now they're probably worth five or five and a half billion. It's been exploding because the TV money has been exploding as well and advertising and all that. But it comes at a cost. And this past week, Monday Night Football, there was a game between the Bengals and the Bills and a player, DeMar Hamlin, essentially died on the field. I mean, he went into cardiac arrest. 
I think the term is commodio cordis. So he had a blunt force trauma to the center of his chest, led to his heart stopping, and he collapsed on the field within a few seconds. So he actually tackled the player, tackled T. Higgins, stood up quickly, adjusted his face mask, and then just collapsed lifelessly. And he was on the field for maybe 10, 15 minutes getting attended to by the NFL medical staff and or team medical staff. And they were with him within 10 seconds. They resuscitated him. They got his heart going, but he was not breathing. His lungs weren't working for, I, I think, a day. And so he was on a ventilator, breathing tube. Fortunately, 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 he is now recovering. He's still, I think, in critical condition, but he's awake. He's talking. I don't know if what his prognosis is in terms of recovery, but because the medical staff was able to get to him so quickly within 10 seconds, it seems like he probably doesn't have the worst case scenario, because, you know, if your heart stops, there's no oxygen going to your organs and your organs start to fail. So I think he was able to avoid the most of that. But who knows if he'll be able to walk or be an athlete again? I, I just don't know. Well, I think, you know, the, I mean, positive about safety. The NFL has been criticized a lot around this, that the people, the paramedics got to him within 10 seconds. It was a quick response, which was great. I mean, it could be the difference between everything right now. The bigger story here is for a business and you know an association that's making so much money how do you keep players safe and i think this is like a reality check for a lot of people i I've, I've read a lot of quotes from you know his teammates and other coaches and other players that really felt this like they saw someone on field essentially die for a period of time and i think they're all like oh wow like this is our life too you know yes we we're here to play we sign on the dotted line we know the risks that we're taking but we don't really understand the risks until you actually see someone affected like he was. And so in that case, like, how do you put more safety here? I, I know they changed certain rules around angles or you, you can't lead with your head. You can't lead with your head. You can't hit someone in the head or neck area. I mean, you, it's a penalty, right? But I think what you're getting at is, so the NFL has said that player safety is a priority, but there's this tension between player safety and the inherent brutal, violent nature of the sport, which is it is a physical sport with athletes that are huge, you know, ranging between some offensive linemen could be near 400 pounds or 380 pounds, six, seven, six, eight. Linebackers are 240, 260 pounds, six, two, six, three, and they run incredibly fast. And then defensive backs and, and wide receivers are smaller, but they're incredibly fast and they're all physical specimens. And so there's people that are running yeah. 20 miles yeah. an hour, jumping into each other full speed with helmets and pads, but it's going to lead to injuries. And so when you try to correct this without changing the inherent nature of the sport, you wonder if these initiatives are really going to have a meaningful impact. Now, they've done certain things like moving the kickoff line up. And if you don't return a kick, you get the ball at the 25 yard line. So that's led to decreases in sort of kickoff return, decrease in injuries, and kickoff returns and things like that. But when they outlawed hits to the head, that led to players diving at your knee. And that's led to more ACL injuries and things. So it's just a very violent game. And the question is, can it ever really be safe by staying true to its nature? Yeah. I mean, like I, I mean, the, the NFL right now, probably in the hot seat because this is being discussed. And I think that that play is being you can watch the play happen and it's a pretty disturbing image to see to see him fall like that um at the same time now you know 
for example, Sunday night football or Sunday in the afternoon, the Bills did play. And what ended up happening is that in the first play, they score a touchdown and it's this beautiful moment. Everyone's celebrating. You know, it's it's almost like it was scripted for like, hey, let's have this really comeback, feel good moment. And then now does that like and the fact that DeMar ideally is, is doing better right now, he's wishing his players well. Does that now overshadow all this? First thing he said after he like regained consciousness was, "Did we win?" Exactly, and it, and so you're if you're in the NFL right now, like let's take this narrative, let's move it away from player safety, and let's come, let's do a comeback story. The Bills had a come, you know, this beautiful opening game. Can you kind of like just let the narrative not ignore player safety, but take away like let's make this back into let's watch football. Football's badass. Uh, let's win for Demar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, there's a dichotomy there. Because, like, if we sit here and everyone's in pins and needles, he collapsed, the ambulance is out, like, players are crying. How can you even get back on the field? You've never seen someone die in, in playing this sport. Although you see injuries like twisted ankles and torn ACLs and broken collarbones, and they're relatively routine. And the concussions are also becoming routine. And a lot of the really... Terrible consequences don't happen until 10, 15 years after people's careers are over and the CTE starts to take hold. But this was an entirely different thing. Right, right. Potentially a death on the yeah. field. So he's okay. He's recovering. But does that mean that the issue is resolved? Does that mean the NFL can go back to normal? I just don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I would hope that his recovery is not taken as a way for the NFL to become complacent and say, okay, well, DeMar recovered. Let's get back to the playoffs. Let's get back to these brutal... Games, unless it is what it is, right? I mean, I, I like the sport. Uh, I, I grew up watching it. I realize that it is violent. I don't know how to change it in a way that removes that element from the game. And even plays that are legal can be incredibly violent and jarring and lead to concussions. And it's also at the college level where a lot of these people aren't going to be set for life. And, and you know, they're playing for an opportunity to play at the next level. But not everyone in the NFL makes a King's Ransom. I mean, a lot of them do, but right, right. not everyone. Yeah, and maybe there's something to be done there where, you know, no matter what stage of your career, whether you're, you know, super massive and big or you play for a few months, you can be taken care of. And who better than DeMar Hamlin to be a spokesperson for, like, player safety? You know, it's a great opportunity for him and whoever's really trying to push for that. And, and you know, it's, and it's not just football. I mean, this has happened in, in soccer where we've seen a, a few instances of players having cardiac arrest. Most recently, two years ago, it was Christian Erickson who was then later revived, but he had essentially the same thing that happened to him. And they're even talking about in soccer, like, for younger players or, or kids who are coming up in youth leagues not to have heading because it potentially causes CTE. I mean, getting hit at a, with the ball that's being kicked at you full force, it's like getting punched in the head. So I, I think just in general, like— No, I know. I never yeah, liked headers when I played not, soccer. It's not pleasant. And the, the thing is, it's a brutal sport, and a major hit can actually change the right. game and help you win because if you knock a you know really talented offensive player for the other team out of the game— that can impact your odds of winning. That happened in the college football playoff uh, when Georgia played Ohio State and Marvin Harrison Jr. was knocked, basically knocked out cold in the end zone. And it was a legal hit. There wasn't a penalty on it, but it, it changed the game. And so those things, and you, and you have a split second to make these decisions, right? People are moving so fast. It's a game of inches. Everything's happening at ridiculous speed. I just, I don't know how you make it safe. And sure, there are injuries in other sports, but nothing 
to this level and frequency. Well, yeah, let's, let's let's see what happens. I mean, maybe he makes some some statements, you know, in, in the near future, but wishing him a healthy recovery as well, along with Jeremy Renner. And, and let's see what happens with this whole narrative here. So we'll keep an eye on it. But Paul, as always, it's great to be back. Yeah. You know, happy 2023. Looking forward to doing more of these with you and reporting what's happening in Hollywood and entertainment. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Better Call Paul the Podcast on Instagram and follow me at Mesh Lakani on Twitter. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera, Marco Siler Gonzalez, and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>